Everybody doing all right? Everybody's looking fantastic, <clears throat> looking edified, built up, blessed. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Um, if you need a Bible, we want to get one put in your hand so that we can get going directly. Just go ahead and raise your hand, um, and there will be a Bible right there that will meet you. But it looks like everybody's good to go, whether you're following along in the, the classic version, uh, which I recommend. You know, I always recommend just having a good old-fashioned Bible in your hands. You know, there's just nothing like opening the Bible, fumbling through the pages, writing on it, marking it up, you know, just listen to it. Oh, yeah. There's just something about that. You know, but then, you know, you might follow along in one of these, too. And uh, well, that's okay. Um, <laughs> I jest, I jest. I know you can highlight them, you can take notes and such. But uh, anyway, let's get in our, our study for today. 1 Corinthians, we're going to start chapter 12 today. We're going to look at the first 11 verses in a, in a message that I've entitled Concerning Spiritual Matters. <clears throat> so let's take our hearts to the Lord. Uh, Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, for God, be it uh, online or here in person, Lord, every heart that is, is joining in with us, and uh, Father, uh, just a part of what you're doing among us. And I just pray, Lord, that today you would just continue to do what you do, which is speak to us, exhort and uh, edify us, and Lord, work in us for change. We pray that you make us like Jesus, that you open our understanding, that we might comprehend your word and uh, respond appropriately to your word, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. Well, up till this point in our study there in 1 Corinthians, Paul uh, has been addressing things which are carnal. You know, the uh, Corinthian Christians were dividing over all kinds of things. They were dividing over different teachers. They were allowing uh, sinful situations in their congregation among people who were professing to be believers. They were insisting on their rights rather than just doing the right thing. And they were seeking, you know, self-interest rather than serving the well-being of one another. But having addressed those things which are carnal, Paul now turns his attention away from things that are carnal, and he sets our sights on things that are spiritual. And then the first thing that kind of comes into focus for us uh, is the spiritual gifts. But if you're an outliner or a note taker, chapter 12, we find the endowment of spiritual gifts. Uh, chapter 13 gives us the energy of spiritual gifts, and chapter 14 will discover the exercise of spiritual gifts. But for now, let's turn our attention right here, chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, where he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Well, you might notice in verse 1 when he says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, that the word gifts is in italics in your Bible. And what that means is that the translators added it for clarification, but originally Paul did not write that, okay? Now, again, he's been addressing things which are carnal, but now he draws our attention to things that are spiritual. Now, the section concerning carnal things was uh, corrective in nature, and the things concerning spiritual, or the, the section concerning spiritual things is, is constructive in nature, okay? Now, because Paul zeroes in on spiritual gifts or the gifts of the Spirit, that's how the translators justified placing it there for kind of preemptive purposes, to let you know the direction that he's going. Uh, but truth be told, what he's speaking about in this overarching section is larger than just the gifts alone. Uh, they, you know, the, the Corinthians were adept. That is, they were proficient, they were practiced at leading a life subjected to the sinful inclinations of the flesh. What they needed was to learn what it meant to lead a life led by the Spirit of God. What does it mean? Uh, how does it look 
to walk in the Spirit, to be used by the Spirit, to be mature in the things of the Spirit. And Paul wants them, and of course by extension us, to understand and uh, to grow in spiritual maturity. And when the Holy Spirit is active in a person's life, I mean, how, how does that evidence itself in, in what we might call or consider to be common practice? And so here in verse 1, he says, concerning spiritual, we, we might better understand it like this, concerning spiritual matters, okay? That, that might be a better way to understand what he's saying here. Be that as it may, uh, concerning these things, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, what does it mean to be ignorant? Well, Listen, it doesn't mean that you're just a stupid individual, you know, some kind of subpar IQ kind of a thing. No, in fact, you, you might be highly, incredibly intelligent. The, you know, the word simply means to not know or to be lacking in knowledge or information. Um, you know, you're uninformed. You're unlearned in a certain area or concerning a certain subject. I mean, you might be incredibly proficient and highly, you know, learned in the area of American history, but you don't know much about archaeology, right? I mean, maybe uh, medical science is kind of your lane, but then when it comes to uh, history or mathematics or whatever the case may be, it's like, you know, that gets, that gets a little bit beyond me. Therefore, you know, you can't move forward or make decisions within that context that are wise or perhaps even appropriate. And so it's interesting to note that of the things that Paul, when you read through the New Testament, these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, there are certain things throughout them in which he says that he does not want Christians to be ignorant of. And of these things that he says, I would have you not be ignorant, it's, it's, you know, in fact, some of the things that Christians are most ignorant of. And so his concern was well-founded and obviously divinely inspired. And when you read through them, it kind of helps serve as a reminder for you and for me to put forth our own you know, due diligence so as not to fall into the category of the uninformed or the ignorant in these matters. Uh, for instance, in Romans chapter 11, Paul exhorts us not to be ignorant of God's prophetic plan for the nation of Israel. Now, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he tells us that he'd have us to not be ignorant concerning spiritual matters. And then he begins to zero in, of course, obviously, on the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says that we shouldn't be ignorant uh, of what happens when we as believers die, uh, the rapture of the church, and how that all ties together with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, here's your homework for the week. Start inquiring. Okay, how many of you here know a a Christian uh, who doesn't go to this church. Just a quick show of hands. Anybody? Okay, that, I think that's pretty much most all of you. Here's the thing. Ask them if they can explain to you the prophetic plan that God has for the nation of Israel or exactly how the operation of the gifts of the Spirit are to be at work in the body of Christ. Ask them about when and why, the when and the why of what the Bible says about the rapture of the church and how that ties together with the second coming of Christ. And see how that conversation goes. You say, man, I just want to tell you, what, what are your thoughts about you know, God's plan ultimately, prophetically for Israel? I mean, I was thinking about that the other day or whatever. The, or here's, a, here's something you could do. Put yourself in that place. What if someone were to inquire of you? How well would you do? Now, I trust that if you're out there and about and you're genuinely asking people, conversating with people, you're going to run into some people that have it down. You know, I mean, and then they know it well. But the vast majority will need to hit you uh, honestly in a way in which they say, you know what, man, if I'm going to be real with you, uh, I'm not really sure myself about these things. Yet what does the Bible say? It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, 
a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That is, don't be ignorant or uninformed. Guys, let's not be uninformed of what the Bible has to say on such matters when, you know, the word of God is right there waiting on you to pick it up, dive into it, and learn from it. There it is. It's probably right there beside your bed or on your coffee table or your countertop or wherever it may be when you get home from church and there you set it, right? Don't ignore it. You know, how many people simply choose to ignore spiritual gifts today? You know, they say something to the extent of, well, you know, uh, they're just not for today. I mean, they were there for the apostolic age or... Uh, the foundational stages of the church. You know, we don't really need them today. How many times, I mean, quick show of hands, how many of you have heard something like that? Yeah. I just have one, one main objective with that view. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach it. You know, I mean, now listen, I know there's a verse or, or maybe two that they lean on in that capacity, but I'm just telling you, and we'll see one of them as we carry on probably uh, maybe next time, but, but you're stretching that verse, man, to, to really make it fit your narrative. It's not, if you were just to read it and understand the context of it, you wouldn't interpret it in that way. But because of so much abuse, right, or misuse, or in some cases even faking experiences uh, in churches today, some people just, they just kind of throw out the whole thing. And, you know, they essentially say, well, I mean, look, I mean, what's going on there? I mean, this, I don't know, but I know that's not of God. And uh, so God just, I mean, they must just, the whole thing is fake. They must just be, you know, God's not moving that way today. Listen, the problem with that perspective is that the church in Corinth was abusing and misusing the gifts of the Spirit. But Paul didn't say, well, look, I mean, obviously that's not of God. And so, uh, you know, evidently the gifts aren't for today. And, and, you know, at least not if that's how you're going to operate in them. I mean, if you're going to be all abusive or misusive or whatever the case may be, then they're not for you. Just let them aside, lay aside. I mean, you're, they're, God is done with this particular movement. No, instead, he issues instructions. He corrects their perspective so that they can enjoy and operate in the gifts of the Spirit as God has intended. Guys, he doesn't eradicate the gifts. He equips the Christians to understand and know how to operate in and facilitate their use. Does that make sense? And he says, listen, before you came to Christ... You know that you were just carried away to these dumb idols, you know, however you were led. Meaning that when he says however you were led, what he means is that you were just driven about by whatever impulse happened to hit you. Okay? Uh, when he says dumb idols, he's not being condescending, you know, these dumb idols or, or slandering or anything like that. No. But what he's saying here is that the idol couldn't speak to you. Okay, like mute, it's dumb. Uh, um, it, it couldn't uh, truly lead you, couldn't direct you in any way. It, it, as the psalmist says, have, having eyes it can't see, right? Uh, ears it can't hear. Had a mouth, couldn't speak. And so there they are, they're praying to this idol or whatever, and then they're just kind of following their own impulses in the name of whatever, you know, quote unquote, God that they were seeking to serve. But listen, being driven by your own impulses does not equip you nor prepare you for an accurate understanding of spiritual gifts and how it is that we're to be led of and sensitive to the Spirit of God. Okay, that's what he's saying. He said, you were just led about by your own impulses. So, I mean, there's some corrective things that you're kind of used to going in this direction and just kind of doing what you feel like doing. And, and that's created some issues, okay, within the way that you're seeking to operate. You know, you're just kind of following your impulses as it, as it pertains to these gifts. But let me say this, guys. You know, he's saying the idol can't speak to you, but God will. 
through his spirit. But I, but I want to say this. It's entirely applicable for us that perhaps our past, you know, what we've been taught in the past, or maybe the things we've experienced in the past, you know, have given us a, a, a poor understanding of the Holy Spirit and how his gifts are to be at work in us and through us and among us, right? And so though maybe you weren't, uh, you know, carried away by some dumb idol or whatever the case may be, but yet maybe your past experience or teaching just hasn't prepared you, you've got a poor understanding as it pertains to these things. And I, and I will say this, you know, a sensitivity to the Spirit of God... Um, Listen, we're all working on that, right? It can, it can take time to cultivate. Uh, you know, on the one hand, perhaps you're the kind of person that has a, uh, or you've allowed a, a materialistic understanding to kind of dominate your thinking. You know what I'm saying. I mean, uh, God is, is trying to speak to your heart. You know, he's really trying to place this unction uh, upon your heart. And, and, you know, and it's like all you can, you're just trying to remember what you had for dinner, you know, because it's like, it's like that salsa seems to be messing with you or something. You know I mean? It's like you aren't, even, you aren't even rationalizing that it could be God speaking to you. You're like, man, what did I eat? This is weird, you know, whatever the case may be. But on the other hand, you know, you have the individual who has an almost superstitious point of view, and they think that every fleeting thought is God's direction for them or a message from, for someone whom they need to talk to and all. And I mean, you know, from which foot hits the floor first in the morning to which way to turn at the light. I mean, man, they're hearing from God on all of it. And I'm just going to tell you, there, there needs to be growth and development on both sides of that line. Okay? But Paul says, look, first things first. Okay? Look here in verse 3. Essentially what he's saying here is that the first thing that you need to know as it pertains to the operation of the Holy Spirit in anyone's life is that when someone is speaking by the Spirit of God, the content will always be edifying and glorifying to Jesus. It will never be blasphemous or in any way take the focus from Jesus. Now he's laying down a broad, okay, it's a broad stroke, uh, you know, a, a key principle, but a broad principle in helping us discern when the Holy Spirit is genuinely at work Versus someone who's trying maybe to deceive you or put off like they're spiritual, but God's not really, you know, in what they're doing or saying, you know, and, and one of the first kind of discernment uh, flags, one of the things that the barometer in our is the spirit at work here meter, you know, kind of a bell that should ring is what's going on. Is it attracting attention to Jesus, right? Or is it detracting attention away from Jesus. And this is kind of what he's got going on. Now, when we talk about edifying or glory, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit, I mean, obviously his, his ministry, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, but even this leads us to Jesus, right? It will ultimately glorify Christ. Now, he's not saying that no one will ever slander Jesus uh, under spiritual influence, but the Spirit influencing such mannerism won't be the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, a demonic spirit, sure. Um, but the Holy Spirit, n no. N n never taking away from, detracting attention off of, or in some way diminishing the person of Jesus Christ. And guys, I, I, I really, I'm just taking time here, right? Because I, I want this to encourage you and assure you concerning the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen, some people, and I know this, are afraid, and maybe you're among them, maybe this is a word for you, I don't know, okay? But some people are afraid to really open themselves up to God, 
I mean, you just like really just like say, God, just whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, I'm yours, have your way. And they're afraid of, of the work of the Holy Spirit because they, they, they think that maybe, you know, if they just truly surrender that, that you know, something weird's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? They'll have some weird experience. Maybe they'll start convulsing uncontrollably or acting all unsensible, whatever the case may be. And that's really sad. Because it shows me that you haven't really thought carefully, nor are you prepared to rely confidently upon the nature of God, your Father who is in heaven. What you're saying, without saying, okay? You ever see those little videos? Say without saying, you know, whatever. And, and what you're saying, without saying, is that you really don't trust the Lord. Okay, not, not truly, not totally, okay? L- do me a favor, let's leave 1 Corinthians for just a minute, okay? Go ahead and either click or flip over to Luke chapter 11. Let's all go there together, Luke chapter 11. Maybe give me an amen when you get there. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for that final amen. 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 All right. So you're in Luke chapter 11. I want to draw your attention beginning in verse 11. Okay. Jesus speaking here. And he says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Well, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Guys, Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Listen, he's saying as an earthly father, and of course it translates, it could be a a mother, whatever, a parent, okay? Uh, Overseer, guardian, whatever. But as an earthly father, you have a sin nature, right? You being evil, you have this sin nature. You're prone to do unethical, dishonorable things. Yet, if your child was hungry... You're just going to throw him a rock and say, there you go, kid, chew on that. You know, I mean, or, or a snake or a scorpion or something. No, you're not. Of course not. You're not going to do that. Well, how much more then will your loving, holy, only good heavenly father give good things to you? How much more will he give, listen, the Holy Spirit. That's an, important, that's an important part. The Holy Spirit to you. In other words, God's not up there waiting to bamboozle you. You know, and, and do something super weird or terrifying to you. You know, it's not, he's not going to give to you the, the weird spirit, the super silly spirit, the semi-awkward spirit. No. Listen, your heavenly Father loves you. Don't be afraid to open your heart, to open your life to all that he has for you, okay? The work of the Holy Spirit in your life is only going to, listen, enable you, edify others, and glorify Christ. Now, that doesn't sound good to you? Then don't seek the equipping of the Spirit of God. But Jesus made it clear what the ministry of the Holy Spirit would be. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, but when the helper in regard to the Holy Spirit comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, again, not the Spirit of weird, or the Spirit of, you know, whatever, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, what will he do? He will testify, speak of, point to me. 
In the 16th chapter, he said of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Guys, let me say this as clearly as I know how. The Holy Spirit is all about Jesus Christ. He will magnify him, glorify him, speak of him, exhort and encourage our reliance upon him. Are you following me? And guys, this is why I get a little uneasy anytime I see within a ministry a a lot of focus even upon the Holy Spirit himself. Because he will never draw people to or, or place the focus upon or promote himself. That is not his ministry. That is not his objective. That is not his priority. Now listen, I understand the sentiment. But the Holy Spirit won't direct us in that way. Man may, okay, under the best of intention, but the Holy Spirit won't do that. He points us to, he promotes only one, and that is Jesus. So if you're interested, you know, here, here would be a good little case study for you. If you're interested in learning of the nature and the work and the ministry of the Spirit of God, study the life of Christ. You know, Jesus didn't act all weird or esoteric or mystical or bizarre. Jesus didn't do things that were foolish or even unbecoming. Now, he might be unpredictable, right? He was unpredictable. He wasn't afraid to take someone out of their comfort zone. But not in a weird way. More of a, it's time to grow in your faith kind of a way. Okay? To stretch you a little bit. So, no one will curse Jesus or belittle or diminish Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God, take attention away from Christ by the Spirit of God. And he also says no one will say that Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit of God. Now listen, that obviously doesn't mean that uh, someone can't just flippantly mouth some words. Okay, Uh, Anyone can do that, of course. But don't forget what Jesus said. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So just being able to mouth something isn't necessarily indicative of anything. It's not about the surface profession. Listen, making Jesus your Lord is a conviction of the soul. Are you with me? I mean, the Holy Spirit demands and commands the heart and soul's obedience and allegiance to Jesus. Okay, it's about that question that that Jesus asked his disciples. Maybe you can you know do the little uh, rewind or flashback in your mind. And there they were in Caesarea Philippi, and he they were just had a little bit of downtime, a real rare thing in the life of Christ. And so he was taking the time to uh, minister to or encourage or you know, kind of uh, teach his own you know his circle there, the disciples. And uh, the question was, well, you know, who do men say that I am? And, you know, much like today, people, well, you know, some say that, you know, you're a great teacher or a prophet or, you know, whatever the case may be. And Jesus said to them, just as he says to each heart here today, here's the question, but who do you say that I am? Right? That's the question. And, and the own, in other words, it's not about what someone else thinks or what someone else believes. That's between them and God. The question is, what's on your heart? What's the confession? What's the profession? What do you say? Who is Jesus? And the only way you're going to answer that question from the heart, like Peter did, is if the Holy Spirit is in you, man. He said, you are the Christ. That's a revelation from God. The anointed one. The son of the living God. You see. Now if that resonates in you. If, if that's something that is truly true to you. Then that bears witness right. The Holy Spirit is in you. He's confirming that to your heart. Now. In verse 4. Paul goes on now to begin to kind of uh, 
amplify or, or, or direct us toward the specifics of what he's going to enlighten. He says there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. Now, he says in verse 4, there are diversities of gifts. The word gifts is charisma, all right? Uh, It means from grace. They they are grace enablings. It's exactly what it says. I mean, in other words, uh, we don't earn particular enablings from the Spirit of God. God simply gifts them to us. And, and notice being spiritual gifts, um, that tells us that it's not a natural ability, okay? It, it's an enabling, be it teaching, prophecy, word of wisdom, giving forth the word of knowledge, miracle, whatever the case may be. It's, it's an enabling by the Holy Spirit, okay? And Paul says here, there are diversities of gifts. What does that mean? It means that there are are differences or there are distinctions. In other words, not everyone will receive the same gift or gifts. Uh, In our little present passage, he will mention nine gifts. There are are more. He'll mention more later. There's some in the book of Romans. And it's my suspicion that they're not even all listed, you know. God just gives gifts as he wills with regard to whatever the need may be. Uh, There's no exhaustive, all-inclusive listing is what I'm saying necessarily. Uh, However, he says, uh, though there are diversities or differences, they all come from the same spirit, okay? Uh, Many gifts, one giver. Does that make sense? Okay. I should also say that even the same gift in two different people's lives will typically function in two different capacities. The nuances, the, 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 the depth or degree to which the Spirit may gift one versus the other, they, they will vary. So, I mean, here we are. You know, God has, has given me a gift for teaching, right? I acknowledge that. I realize that. I know that's God and not me. But maybe He's given you a, a, a gifting as well uh, to teach. But maybe the gift that uh, God has given me doesn't measure up to the one he's given you. It's not as good or as great, I should say. In other words, he's poured out a greater gifting in you than he has in me. Uh, But, you know, listen, uh, or it could be that they won't even function in the same capacity. Okay, so like the, the way that God uses me to teach is in kind of in the public or the corporate assembly. Maybe he'll use you to teach there in your family or the children's ministry or a life group or, you know, whatever the case may be. Okay? In other words, just having the gift of, of teaching doesn't mean, well, then you're to be the pastor or something. Not always. Could be, but not necessarily. And Paul is going to tell us that the measure in which the Spirit gives these gifts is predicated upon his sovereignty. Okay? Likewise, he says there are differences of ministries. Now, uh, this seems, at least to me, I guess I could be wrong on this, but it it seems to allude to uh, different offices that God has gifted people to function in. And, uh, you know, and he'll talk about that later. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher, different offices, different ministries, but, but the same Lord uh, directing the service, okay? So there's different ways in which people serve, but it's the same Lord that directs the service in each uh, context. And then he says there are diversities of activities. Now, the word activity is literally the word from which we get our words energy, energetic, or energize, okay? It's a word of active, miraculous power. Paul is saying that God will pour out his active, miraculous power in different ways, okay? But it's the same God doing the work. In other words, a different act doesn't mean a different God. or different, it's different ways that God will pour out His power, but they all come from the same God. By the way, I trust that you have picked up on how effortlessly the triunity of God is woven into this passage. 
You know, same spirit, same Lord, same God. So there's tremendous diversity and activity, but it all works together in absolute unity. Are you following me? So all these different things, but same, same, same. It's all working together. Unity in diversity. So ours isn't to compare ourselves. As a matter of fact, I, I, I think it's in 2 Corinthians or, uh, you know, uh, but Paul says we err when we compare ourselves amongst ourselves. Well, man, I really wish I could teach like that guy. Or, man, I really wish the evangelistic, you know, anointing was on me like it's on him. Or, man, she just always seems to have a word in due season. I don't have that. But no, 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 no. We err to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. You see, to be faithful with the gifts that our master has entrusted to us that's where it's at. Uh, and you might just write this down. You can look it up later. It's Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And, and that's where Jesus teaches on how uh, the master, our master, will entrust various uh, responsibilities to various people to the various degrees according to his own sovereignty. But ours isn't to, to compare ourselves amongst ourselves, but to be faithful with what he's entrusted to us. How are we investing those things that he has uh, given to us? Let me also say this. Because spiritual gifts are not tied, guys, this is a, this is a big deal. Don't phase out on me. Because spiritual gifts are not tied to natural abilities, what does that mean? It means that any man or any woman can serve God effectively. Are you hearing me? I want to repeat that. Because spiritual gifts are not tied to natural abilities, that means that any man or any woman can serve God effectively. Okay? I want you to let that sink in because it's not about your adequacy. It's about God's ability, okay? Now, Satan would have you believe that you, you really can't serve God. You know, not effectively. I mean, you know, but, but once you understand this, guys, everything changes. It's not about you. It's about God working through you by the power of His Spirit. You and me, we can't. That's how it should be. God can, and he will. It is ours to simply surrender to him, and he takes it from there. Are you with me? Okay. Now look at verse 7, guys. We're going to shift gears here. He says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, uh, in the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to notice each one individually as He wills. Now, guys, some of you are probably like, man, I wish you'd have gotten to this part sooner because I want to hear more on these things. Um, and we could. Obviously, we could spend ample time exploring each of these gifts. I'm just going to highlight an example or two uh, in Scripture, and I trust that will suffice your understanding, okay? But he speaks here in verse 7 of the manifestation, right? That's the word he uses, the manifestation of the Spirit. Guys, one thing that we need to realize um, is that the Holy Spirit, you know, as Christians... Is always present among us, right? I mean, John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. I mean, that's, that's it. That's the end of the story, right? Christ said the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. So as a Christian, the Spirit of God is always with you. His presence is always with you. However, 
There are times that he may choose to, well, our word is, manifest his presence more apparently than other times. Okay? In other words, all of you guys know, this is going to be a quick, quick illustration. All of you guys know that my Bible is present among us. Now, there's a few of you, maybe not now, who could see my Bible, right? But we all know it's here. Now, check it out. I'm going to make my Bible manifest. There it is. Now we all see it plainly. We all see it clearly, right? So, so his presence is, is always, always there. But there are times when he will choose to make his presence more known, right? Or, not, not, or seen. Not, not, not in the presence of, of bodily form uh, or, or something like that. But he reveals himself. This is what Paul is saying. The Holy Spirit will manifest himself through these various enablings that he gifts to the body of Christ. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, right. The Holy Spirit is manifesting his presence through, through teaching, right? He's, he's allowing us to, 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 to know that he is here with us. So he's always... 100% with us, but listen, should someone go from unable to walk to completely healed in our midst, we would say the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit has been made manifest among us. Okay? Or, and that's dramatic, but it could be a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge that comes forth. It could be a word of edification, exhortation, and comfort, otherwise known as prophecy. And the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself in that capacity. Are you with me? The thing that Paul wants us to realize about the gifts of the Spirit is that they're never given for the sole benefit of the individual, but for the blessing or the profit of the church body. Okay? Guys, this is such a big deal. So that, listen, let's go back to our previous example. The Lord enables you to walk. Well, listen, you better use those legs to serve the body of Christ. Okay? It should benefit us all. You have the ability to teach. My question is, why are you not in the children's ministry? Why are you not, uh, you know, in the youth or leading the college group? Or uh, why are you not uh, leading a discipleship group or a women's study or whatever the case may be? It should benefit the body. I trust you get the idea. The gifts of the Spirit should unite and edify the body not make these little clicks or different things where this is the this group and the that group and beginning to divide the body. And I, here's something else I want you to notice, guys. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm putting it on you today, okay? I want you to see it in verse, well, we can go back to, uh, actually, let's just look at verse 11. I mean, you can see it again in, in verse 7, but it's what's said there. That each one of you, do you see that? Well, I'm not gifted. Well, then you don't believe the Bible. Each one of you have been given gifts. Okay? Are you, do you guys see that? Okay. So the question, in other words, if you've given your life to Christ, He has gifted you in some capacity or capacities, one or maybe more ways. So the question you need to ask yourself isn't, you know, do I, do I want to exercise this gift? Or, or should I exercise these gifts? But rather, on the basis of verse 7, on the basis of verse 11, what's the best way, where's the most beneficial place within the body of Christ to exercise my gifts? It's not should I, but where you know, am I to be, okay? So the first manifestation that Paul speaks of here is word of wisdom. Now, the word of wisdom is that supernatural insight that brings a practical solution to a seemingly impossible situation. Jesus used this uh, gift, he exercised this gift all the time, 
right? I mean, uh, the religious leaders were constantly uh, trying to trap him in an impossible situation, that no way out kind of dilemma. Here he is on the horns of a dilemma. I mean, uh, Matthew 22, verses 15 and following, right? Teacher, we know that you are a man from God. You don't respect anyone. You teach the word in truth. So tell us, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And when you understand a little bit about that, you understand they're putting him on the horns of a dilemma. Because if he says, yeah, you should pay your taxes, well, then now, uh, you know, he's a Roman sympathizer. Uh, they have, uh, they've, they've got the iron boot on, on Israel. They've got him subjected. Now he's, he's going to lose a, a, a tremendous amount of allegiance, and the people will turn from him, which is exactly what they want. But then if he says, no, don't, then they go to Rome, and this guy's an insurrectionist. He's a rebel. He's telling people to not, he can't win. And so what does he do? He says, well, look, throw me a coin. And so they throw him a coin. They toss him a coin. He's like, whose image does it bear? Well, it's got Caesar's image on it. And that's when he says, well, then render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The question is, whose image do you bear? Render to God the things that are God's. Right? Boom, it all did. And then there they are. They got nothing they can say. Word of wisdom, practical solution, impossible situation. Word of knowledge, he says. Now again, what is this? Supernatural insight into a situation that you could never know apart from the Spirit of God revealing it. And you see Jesus doing, you know, exercising this a lot as well. Probably one of the most popular passages is in John chapter 4 when he encounters a woman at a well. He sends his disciples, he sent them into town to, to go and get something to eat or whatever and he hangs back and there he is leaning up against the well. The woman comes out and she begins to draw water and he says, you know, uh, get me a drink. And uh, he says, wow. She says, wow, you're a Jew and you're talking to me, a Samaritan. These kind of things don't happen. He said, listen, um, ma'am, if you knew who it was who was speaking to you, you would ask him for a drink and he'd give you living water and you'd never thirst again and she's like man I want this I want this water I want this you know and he says um, well uh, go and get your husband and come here and she said well sir um, you know I I have no husband and he says you've said well that you have no husband because you've had five husbands and the man whom you're living with presently is not your husband and in that you spoke truly She's like, wow, I perceive you're a prophet. But, but the, the idea there is he was given a word of knowledge, a supernatural insight into her life. He had never met her. He didn't know her. How could he know that apart from the Spirit of God revealing that? Do you see that? And, and oftentimes you experience these gifts. Here's something else I just want you to know. I'm sorry, you're just going to have to hang with me. All right? Here's something else I want you to know about about the Spirit of God, is that the Spirit of God often works very in a, super, a supernatural, right? The Spirit of God's working supernatural through the practical. Okay, in other words, it's not always going to be this giant, like, wow, woo, and you have all this mystical kind of, like the haze starts showing up, and you know, all the things. I mean, you realize that, that God created us to live here, and he knows where we live and what's going on in our lives, and he ministers to us right where we're at. Okay, in other words, supernatural through the practical. Here we are, we're going through the word of God. And you see these, these gifts, word of knowledge and wisdom and, and, and prophecy and things like this that come through even in a time like this. You know, you, you bring someone to church, and how many of you have experienced this? Or maybe it's you, and maybe it's when you first started coming around, or I don't know, but whoever's teaching, could be me, could be someone else, but here I am, I'm sharing, and I start bringing up this illustration or this example or whatever, and uh, the person that you brought looks over at you like, man you've given this guy a play-by-play of my life. You know, I mean, what, why, why would you tell him about me, you know, and do this to me? Now I'm embarrassed, you see, and all of these kinds of things, and, and they're accusing you essentially, like I've tailored my, like, let me, give me a wink when they get here, and I'll go down that road, you know, and we'll illustrate that point, and like, like, like I've got time to do that kind of thing. Like, I'm energy, I'm in no way. Listen, I don't know what's going on in your life, but the Lord does, you know, It's just the Lord revealing himself to them or saying, hey, look, I see you. I know you. I love you. I'm concerned about you. I know what's going on in your life. But, you know, you'll read in the Gospels that Jesus knew what was happening in people's hearts. For he knew what was in their heart. Uh, Word of knowledge. 
And you see Paul exercise it a couple of times in, in Acts chapter 27. Remember that whole shipwreck fiasco? And he's like, I perceive this trip is not going to end well. Well, I mean, listen, it was fair skies and nice breeze when he said that. It wasn't like the looming gray clouds and listen, Captain, I'm just saying we should probably hang back. It wasn't like that. All the seasoned sailors were like, this dude's out of his mind. This trip's going to be fantastic. He's like, I'm just telling you. Something he couldn't have known apart from God revealing. Uh, and I, I, I think you see wisdom and knowledge working in tandem in the first 11 verses of, of John chapter 8 when they bring Jesus, that woman caught in adultery. You know, the, the law says we should stone her. What do you say? Well, there's that horns of dilemma thing again. What are you going to do? Go against the word of God, you know? He says, well, here I got, here's what I say. That he who's without sin cast the first stone. <laughs> you know, so here's that word of wisdom, right? And then what's he do? He begins to lean down and he begins to write in the sand. Now, we don't know what he was writing in the dirt. This is where I believe it was word of knowledge. I can't prove it. I just suspect it. Because he starts looking at the oldest one. You know, there's old Bartholomew or whatever. You know, whatever his name is. And he looks at him and he begins to write down some secret in his heart. And about the time he gets to the third letter, like he's all like, bloop, drops the rock and he takes off. And beginning with the oldest to the youngest, he, he empties the environment. He's just moving in the, hey, lady, where's your accusers? Does no one condemn you? You know, no one, Lord. Well, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, sin no more. Right? That's, that's, that's the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. Faith, okay, he says faith, we'll move on. Faith, you know, when he says to another faith, he's not talking about saving faith, okay? That's something that we all have to have or we can't be saved, which, by the way, is a gift, but for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? So, yes, but this is not that just that I believe in Jesus' faith. This is that mountain-moving, over-and-above faith that believes God for the otherwise impossible, right? I mean, Jesus, uh, there he is, and he looks at the fig tree. It's got no fruit on it. He curses it. He says, may no fruit ever grow on you again. They go their way. They come back the next day. The thing is just, it's uh, from the roots up, it's dead. Um, and they're all like, wow, Lord, I, 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 that's amazing. That's incredible. And he said, you know what, guys? If you had the faith, right, of a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, be moved and cast into the sea, and it, it would obey you. This is that mountain-moving faith. You know, Peter sees the crippled man, Acts chapter 3, laying there at the gate, beautiful, begging alms, and somehow and in some way, the Spirit just gives him this faith to believe, and he says, listen, silver and gold, I have none, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and he grabs the man's hand, I mean, who does this? And he yanks him up, I mean, you know what I'm thinking, what happens if he like falls back down? <laughs> well, guess what? I haven't been given that gift of faith for that moment, have I? Peter didn't have any doubt. He pulls that guy up. Wham! He hits. And he goes running and leaping, praising God, and everyone's blown away. That's that, that's that faith, right? Healing. I think we can kind of, we know what that is. You know, God's healing power, it can be given or received, meaning maybe it's a time that uh, God moves through you uh, to, uh, you know, pray for another, and it's kind of working together with that faith, and God heals them. Or it could be that there you are, and you're laying in your bed or whatever, and you're not feeling well, and, and you're praying, and God, and God, you know, listen, a couple of times, not every time, I mean, very few, but a couple, two or three times in my whole life, man, the Lord's just touched me. You know, He's healed me. And so who received it? I, I received it. <laughs> The gift of healing, you know. Um, we've seen it here, guys. Listen, I, and, and it's, it's not about me. I'm just using the illustration. I, you know, I've prayed for some people. You know, God's healed them. Um, I've prayed for others, and they've died. I don't know which side of the coin you're going to be on. You know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's not about, it's not about me. Um, but that, I mean, it's just, I'm just being honest. But... That's, I mean, you know, you pray for some people, they've got cancer, that's what I'm saying, you know, and they go to the, to the doctor and they come back and it's like, wow, man, they, they think they messed up on the test. I'm like, they didn't mess up on the test, so Lord God has touched your life. You know, let's give glory to God. 
And that's one of the things that I try to do, you know, and guys, it's happened more than once where we just want to be careful because we can so easily fall into the trap, can't we? Where, well, the doctor says he must have tested wrong. Oh, wow, wow, praise God, we're glad they got the test wrong. Why would you do that? Why would you pray and ask the Lord to move and minister and touch and heal and then come back and go, well, they must have messed up. Man, be careful to give God glory. You know what I'm saying? Lord, you've done this. Um, but that's why verse 11 is so important, you guys. The gifts aren't just at, at, at my disposal or your disposal or our disposal. They're according to his sovereignty. Each one according to as he wills. You know, um, in other words, it's like it's not time to go buy a powder blue suit and, and get a TV program. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it, it's, some were healed through Paul's ministry. Uh, others, he left sick. You know, Miletus, or I've left in Trophimus, or is it Trophimus? I've left my, I don't remember the names, but you know, he left, I left him there sick. You, know, you think he didn't pray for him? You know, even Timothy, his beloved like son in the faith, he said, look, I'm encouraging you, just take some medicine for your stomach. You know, another, Paul himself had a thorn in his flesh. So be it medical or miraculous, you know, God, we just thank God when he heals. Um, but it's up to him. Miracles, okay, this would be uh, when the Spirit chooses uh, to suspend the laws of nature, okay, you know, walking on water, um, casting out demons, feeding 5,000 men and, and, and more with women and children, uh, you know, families with five loaves and two fish, you know, raising the dead. Guys, <laughs> um, I don't know, I could tell you a story, I guess. One story I have, and if you guys got to pee or something, I understand you can go, I, <laughs> look, I get it. Maybe that was inappropriate, I'm sorry. Um, but... Uh, you know, there we were. It was 2011. Um, and I'm glad I've got Justin here uh, to bear witness because I know he saw this. He was right there. And we were doing our baptisms. And don't be afraid to come to our baptisms. We want you to be baptized. <laughs> All right? Um, and, uh, well, there we are. I've, just, I've got someone out in the water. And, and there's people. There's probably 40, 50 people there because that was the year of the tornado, right? So there were lots of people who normally weren't from our town, in our town. And they would come to church and we went down there. And uh, so I've got someone, I don't even know who it was, who was beside me. And all of a sudden I hear, Phew! I just hear this, like this dead thump. Uh, and I look over and our children's director at the time is like as hard as he can. He's trying to pick this elderly woman up. She's just collapsed between the 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 embankment and the boat dock. And, um, and like she's, she's non-responsive. He picks her up. He takes her over and he lays her out on flat. And um, she is not moving. She is not breathing. She is not nothing. Um, she's starting to turn ash. She's turning gray. I'm, and people are like, Pastor Jeff, Jesus, I think she's dead. You know? And so, um, I, I, well, okay, well, uh, let's get back to this, the person in the water, you know, and I, and I go up and there's all these people around her, I break through and there she is, and she's laying there and she's turning ashen, she's turning gray, and she's not responding, and, um, and there was a nurse there, right, there was a nurse, uh, a guy, and he goes, I don't have a pulse, I don't have a pulse, uh, I'm, I'm preparing to, to uh, you know, go CPR kind of a thing, Justin's on one side of her, the nurse is on the other side of her, and I'm like, I don't know what to do, all these people are gathered around, and I just say, oh God, I just say, let's pray, oh God, we pray that you please just restore her life to her, I'm telling you guys, no sooner than those words came out of my mouth, she goes, <gasps> And, and she, because she wanted to be baptized, you know, uh, I hadn't gotten to her. Um, and uh, one of the, one of the, uh, the her daughter, I, I think, her granddaughter, was like, Pastor Jeff, she just wanted to be baptized, can you? And I mean, I'm like, she just was dead. And, and so I, and so we, what do we do? We take a bottle, I just took a bottle of water. And I said, hey, you know, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I begin to pour it over her forehead. I mean, someone had already called 911, an ambulance shows up, but she stands up, she's walking around. I, I encouraged her to go with the ambulance, but she was like, nah, good. And, and, and she didn't. 
And uh, so, I mean, what do I do? I say, well, guys, uh, no reason standing around gawking. We're here to baptize people. Let's go baptize people. And that's what we did. It, guys, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a, this overwhelming, like, spiritual kind of a thing. I think God just had mercy. He moved. You know, I'm giving him glory. He raised that woman from the dead, you know. Um, and, uh, and then guess what we did? We baptized people. You know, that's why, that's why we were there. Well, I wasn't planning on telling that story, but I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, do miracles happen today? Yeah, I believe they do. I believe they do. Um, and again, often they, they work in conjunction with faith. I don't normally go around praying for people that have died that God will raise them to life. I mean, it's just not something I do. Uh, <laughs> I just don't do that. I don't have that kind of faith, I guess, that mountain-moving faith, but... He says, discerning of spirits. And by the way, I mean, there was lots of people praying. I'm not saying that it was, you know, whatever. But um, discerning of spirits. What is this? You know, is, is something from the Lord or is it not? You know, is, is this the word of God or, you know, is it the right words, the wrong spirit behind it? You kind of see that in the book of Acts, you know, um, uh, when that demonic, that woman who was possessed was saying, these guys are servants of the Most High God, and it didn't seem, and they, she was right, the right words, but Paul discerned like that was, this was demonic. And he, and he set this woman free, and then that's when he went to prison, you know. Um, and, and, or is the doctrine true, or is it not? Is this of the, of the Holy Spirit? Is this a deceitful spirit? You're discerning. Uh, is this person's motives pure or polluted? Again, Simon the sorcerer, Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 23. The Bible tells us that Satan appears as an angel of light, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So John tells us we're to test the spirits. Don't believe everything you're told just because the person seems nice or seems educated or, or, or whatever. Um, you know, how does it stack up to the Word of God? I mean, the discerning of spirits. Is this of the Holy Spirit or is this not, right? Uh, Karen, you can come on up. We're going we're gonna to kind of close off here. But, and then he says... Um, he says tongues. Now this uh, tongues is a language of prayer and praise. It's uh, unfruitful to our understanding, edifying to our inner man. Uh, and guys, this is one gift that you never find Jesus exercising. Uh, why? Well, he understands every language. There's, there's no language that he's going to pray that will be unfruitful to his understanding, you know. Uh, and, and this gift can play an important role in the devotional life of the believer, but it's not to really be prevalent in the, in the corporate life of the church, and we'll see that later. And it's never to be utilized publicly apart from one who can interpret, um, which is the last gift that Paul mentions here. And I know, guys, uh, that A, we've, we've gone fairly long, but B, I know there are... Uh, Questions, lots of questions about this particular gift. I know there's a lot of confusion about this particular gift um, as it pertains to tongues and their place in the body of Christ. So we're going to stop here for now and uh, we'll expand maybe a little bit more on this as we begin our time together next time. Does that sound fair? All right, let's bow, let's bow our hearts. Well, Father, uh, we are praying, God, as we, as we study your word and just want to, you know, we're learning about the operation of your spirit in the, the corporate assembly. We're, we just want to pray for a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon our hearts and our lives even today. Maybe, Lord, there are those among us who have been apprehensive or uncertain about being truly open to all that you want to do, maybe thinking that something weird will happen or Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that you are a good, loving, kind, compassionate Father. And so we would ask that you would just have your way in us, that you would be glorified and magnified among us. And listen, guys, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, God has so much for you, but it can't even begin until there's been surrender from you. Christ laid down His life for you. He shed His blood upon the cross that you might be forgiven, that you might find life in Him. Believe on Him today and you'll be saved. As none of these other things even, even 
begin until our life comes to an end, if, if that makes sense to you. You seek to save your life, you'll lose it. If you seek to lose your life in Christ, you'll find life everlasting. So if you're in that place, and I don't care how old or young you are, where, where you've been, what you've done, but you're in that place where, look, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not right with God. I, my, my life doesn't belong to God. And, and I'm, I, I can tell the Spirit's knocking on the door of my heart today. And I'm ready to open the door and to let him in. Can I pray for you? If you say, man, that's me. I see you, buddy. God bless you. Then I just want to pray for you. And any, anyone else who's just saying, man, today's a day for me. And I'm not, I'm not calling you to like necessarily to, to, to recommit. That's awesome too. But today's a day of salvation for you. Anyone I can pray for? Okay. Father, we just say thank you again for ministering to us as a body, as a family. Lord, for uh, challenging us to open our hearts and our lives to you completely and say, God, if there's anything more that you want to do in me or through me, if you would have the power of your spirit to rest upon me, uh, Lord, please, I just, I'm asking for, for that. Um, and by faith, we receive it, Lord. And we trust, God, that you will do what you want to do and give the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And I pray, Lord, here's something else I want to pray, God. I just, real, I just want to pray, Lord, you have said in your word that you've given gifts to each of us for the profit of all of us. So, Lord, I want to pray for every heart here that maybe hasn't found their niche, that hasn't found that place to connect, to serve, to build up, to edify, whatever and however the capacity that may be. Uh, Lord, that you begin to reveal those things to them today. And God, that we all respond appropriately and obediently to you. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? Guys, may the Lord bless you and be with you. And, and, and may his spirit just uh, be poured out upon you. And may you leave here refreshed, renewed, edified, filled. You know, you've dined on the word of God. And, and may you just be filled to the overflow. And may you find new opportunities opening uh, to you to uh, serve God and, and to just uh, bring glory to God. And may, you know what, I encourage you to do a little bit of homework. Get familiar with what your Bible says. What's God's plan for Israel? How are these gifts supposed to be working? What is God's plan for us when we die? What about the rapture of the church? And, and how does that really tie into the second coming of Christ? Man, that's, I, I don't know. Well, you can. All right? I encourage you with that. And if you need any prayer, we're up here ready to pray for you, uh, whatever your need may be. Let me pray and I'll cut you loose. Father, I just thank you again uh, for your, your word to us today. Now I pray that you go before us. I pray that your word settle down deep into us and bring forth fruit for your glory, God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You have a wonderful Sunday. And we'll see you either Thursday or next Sunday, if not sooner.